We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless. And it's all for you. All for me. Just switch quickly. Because Metro has two lines for 80. And two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be. Only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are listening to the Tuesday, January 9th edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat Corain, and with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. Sean, how's it going? Great. Even though uh, the Chiefs found a way to, to lose their sixth consecutive home playoff game, uh, the city is rallying, and we've got a great show today regardless of that. Uh, I'm going to talk quarterbacks, bring on a couple of our Rotoviz writers, cover some rookies, cover some veterans, and try to make some sense of the potential quarterback carousel here. Yep, and we'll we'll talk more about Wildcard Weekend at the end of the show, but for now we're going to be kind of diving in to uh, the quarterback class. Um, let's uh, let's first just remind everyone that you can get a listener's only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the Rotoviz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast, which will give you unlimited access to all of our premium content, and it also helps support the podcast. Uh, you can also support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. That's either the Rotoviz Radio channel or the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Um, kind of two choices there. And you can always contact us via Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and on Gmail, rotovizradio at gmail.com. Um, yeah, let's get into the quarterback class. I think uh, I'm going to be not playing kind of the noob to this class. I just kind of am 
the noob to this class. I'm not all that familiar with the class yet, have yet to kind of dive in. Um, so we're going to be talking mainly about five quarterbacks in this episode. Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson. And Sean, I was kind of hoping before we bring on Jordan, who's going to be really diving into the quarterbacks for us, um, that I was wondering if you could kind of run down these quarterbacks uh, I guess let's start with Josh Allen. Just uh, some quick bullet points on on these guys. Yeah, well, this is going to be one of the most exciting classes we've seen in a while, in part because so many teams at the top of the draft need quarterbacks, and there are such intriguing possibilities and volume of possibilities this year. Looking at Josh Allen, we've got a quarterback from Wyoming, 6'5", has the big-time arm talent the teams are looking for and has been connected to Cleveland potentially at number one. The red flags being that his numbers really fell off this year. He dropped from an 8.3 adjusted yards per attempt down to 6.9, which puts him in uh, a conversation with some not particularly favorable comps. And I'm sure Jordan will talk about that. When we move over to our second Josh, we have Rosen at UCLA. He exploded on the scene with over 3,000 passing yards in his freshman season. Unfortunately, didn't take a a big step forward over the last couple of years. And uh, in part because UCLA was not as talented or, uh, or well-coached or, or whatever their issue was, as people might've hoped they didn't win with him the way everyone anticipated, but his numbers were solid. He again is a big guy with a spectacular arm finished with an 8.4 adjusted yards per attempt. So not spectacular, but not as much of a red flag there. We move over to his Pac-12 peer in Sam Darnold, another big quarterback with incredible arm talent, really exploded on the scene last year when he took over a couple games into the season and uh, passed for over 3,000 yards, had a nine adjusted yards per attempt, which in your debut season, very impressive. He took a little bit of a step back this year with a lot of talent around him. So that, again, is going to be the red flag there. He actually had four different games with zero touchdowns and at least one interception. So definitely a Jekyll and Hyde season from that perspective. The real star looking purely on the field would be the 2017 Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield. In his last two seasons at Oklahoma, he posted over 11 adjusted yards per attempt, or over 12 adjusted yards per attempt, um, 131 college touchdowns, 30 interceptions. So you have to balance out size, attitude, possible issues there with the height. And then finally, last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson, who very impressive passing numbers, over 9,000 yards for his career. Um, But even more impressive than that, he actually had more rushing yards and more rushing touchdowns over the last two seasons than the expected number one pick in all fantasy rookie drafts. When you consider the hybrid uh, portfolio there, it's, you know, especially when you look at what some of the run pass quarterbacks have done the last couple of years, you know, you can dream of just uh, these amazing NFL types of scenarios. The one big concern, he's never completed 60% of his passes in college. And so accuracy issues are going to be the big question he has to answer. Awesome stuff. Um, so, when you look at this class, is there kind of clear um, rankings for you or clear um, categories that you put these guys in? In terms, I guess tiers is, is the word I'm looking for in, in terms of how you would rank them for their NFL draft prospects. I mean, like, is there a chance that 
Mayfield is is would go number one instead of Allen? I don't think he is likely to go number one overall, but we could certainly see four of these guys go in the top six picks. So when you're looking at Browns at one, Giants at two, Broncos at five, Jets at six, I think it's likely that at least one of those teams goes the veteran route. But certainly when you have this many intriguing prospects, those teams are going to be competing for them. They have to be excited about the possibilities. I think they break down into three groups. You have Allen, who's really sort of by himself with the physical attributes that evaluators are going to want, but the production is pretty scary. Then you have Darnold and Rosen with incredible physical talent, certainly have demonstrated that over several years, but never really had that breakout Heisman Trophy type of season. And then finally, you have the two smaller quarterbacks in Mayfield and Jackson, who have perhaps size red flags maybe an attitude red flag or a completion percentage red flag. But in terms of the two best guys as college quarterbacks, I think you're looking at those two players. Awesome. Okay. I think that uh, gives us what we need. So let's bring on Jordan Hoover to discuss the quarterback class in further detail. All right, Sean, before we bring on Jordan, uh, just want to let our listeners know about SeatGeek. Uh, just an excellent app for buying tickets on the secondary market. I've had the app on my phone for years. It's kind of my go-to app for uh, for tickets, really. And, um, you know, because you can get tickets to concerts, to sporting events. Um, you know, this is kind of a an apt week, potentially, to be to be trying to score some some tickets. Right, Sean? Yeah, if if you're a Titans fan, Falcons fan, and didn't really think your team was was going to advance, it's a great time to get the SeatGeek app and pull it out there. Look up, um, you know, what what tickets might be available for those big games you're you're suddenly in this weekend. Yeah, and I've actually used it to go to several uh, Jets and actually a Giants game as well because I'm in the New York area myself. What I like about it is that it grades out the tickets, so you can see based on the value of the ticket you're buying, not just um, not just how much a ticket costs, but how good of a deal that that price is for where that seat's located. And that's been very helpful in, in trying to, um, you know, make sure you're getting the most bang for your bucket when, you, when you're buying tickets. So if you want a $20 uh, off offer for your first SeatGeek purchase, just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code RVRADIO. Uh, that's promo code RV Radio for twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase with the SeatGeek app. Download it today. Please welcome to the show Jordan Hoover, who you can follow on Twitter at jhoover nine seven eight seven. Jordan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate the uh, the time, and uh, pretty excited to talk about these quarterbacks for the twenty eighteen class. It's uh, a pretty interesting topic to dive into. Absolutely. So Sean and I were just kind of discussing the class um, before we brought you on and uh, discussing kind of Josh Allen at the top of the class in terms of likelihood of going number one um, due to his size and physical gifts. Um, he's drawn comparisons to Carson Wentz and Ben Roethlisberger, but his college numbers do offer some red flags um, more similar to busts like Blaine Gabbert, Mike Glennon, Kyle Bowler. Um, we know that college adjusted yards per attempt is a strong indicator of NFL success, but it's by no means the only indicator. So how much of a pass should we give to Allen 
and uh, is he a good fit for any of the teams at the very top of the draft? Yeah, so starting out on Allen, um, anyone who's listened to me on the uh, the college football show or has read anything that I've written, you probably know that I'm not the biggest fan. Um, but whether we like it or not, old-style NFL valuations are still pretty important, and they go a long way in determining draft position, which is another important indicator of future success, along with AYA, like you mentioned. Um, I personally think that the hype around Josh Allen kind of got out of control this year, Um but I think it's also fair to address the loss of surrounding talent from a year ago on Wyoming as far as the skill positions around him. And his offensive line also finished the season ranked 99th in adjusted sack rate, according to S&P Plus. So it's, you know, it's difficult for any quarterback to function in, in a chaotic uh, atmosphere. But what I really can't get away from with Allen is how he consistently struggled against Power 5 competition during the course of his career. It's a small sample size, only three games, but in those games, he completed just 48% of his throws and had a 71.4 passer rating, which is really bad. Um, so, I mean, overall, like with Allen, I, I view him more as a project, uh, more so than like a day one starter. And I think that for him to really become successful, I think that he kind of needs to find the perfect storm of circumstances as far as landing spot, offensive scheme, coaching staff, and preferably an established starter to be able to sit behind because I, I don't necessarily think if he's thrown right into the fire that he has the accuracy and consistent uh, decision-making to be able to excel at the NFL level right away. He's mentioned in the same breath as Wentz and Roethlisberger from time to time, but those guys are really pretty phenomenal college quarterbacks and uh, successful at smaller schools regardless of the talent around them. Is there any truth to the, the comp- comparisons there or are there any other smaller school guys or, or any uh, big quarterbacks in general who maybe had not the greatest numbers but you think would be a good positive comp for Allen? That's a good question. I mean, I think that it, it's, you know, it's kind of obvious, but I think the, the, the most um, comparable thing between Wentz, Roethlisberger and Allen is the size. And I think that that's, that tends to be what what a lot of evaluators latch onto is the fact that he's six foot five, 230, 240 pounds. So you automatically just on the eye test, you look and you see a big guy and you think that he could morph into one of those guys who have been successful. Um, but I know that I wrote up, I wrote up Josh Allen for the uh, draft prospect series on Rotoviz and his final season AYA, uh, I went through uh, Rotodoc's QB success model uh, article from last year. And I think he had around 120 quarterbacks in his database. And Allen was in the bottom fifth percentile in final season AYA. And the guys that he fell into the that cohort um, were not successful in the NFL at all. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he can't be successful. But, you know, as far as size, I think that I've also heard the Jake Locker comparison thrown around a lot um, for for his size and also his athletic ability, which Locker was known for. And we all know that, you know, Locker's career didn't turn out the way he had hoped or any of his um, backers had hoped. I, I, I kind of think that that comparison isn't too far off. Uh, it's certainly within his range of outcomes, in my opinion. Moving over to a couple of the other guys who are in that big quarterback range, certainly not quite the same size, but 
two players with fantastic arm ability who were then a little bit disappointing this year in Rosen and Darnold. How concerned should we be that Rosen couldn't lead his team to more success in the Pac-12 and that Darnold struggled so much with interceptions and also in games against good defenses? Yeah, so as far as Rosen is concerned, I I think that his win-loss record um, this season isn't really a fair point of emphasis just given how bad UCLA's defense was. Um, Considering that they have a decent amount of talent on their roster, they finished 120th in the country in defensive S&P Plus, and and they finished 122nd in points allowed. So they're in the very bottom of the entire country of D1 football as far as defense is concerned. And when you're getting no support from your defense, there's only so much that you can do as a quarterback. So I don't necessarily think um, that his win-loss record is is necessarily a, a good point of, of reference. But um, I, I talk a lot about how Lamar Jackson has improved his efficiency as a thrower each season during his time at Louisville. And Rosen did much of the same during his time at UCLA – uh, with his final season being his best in terms of AYA and passer rating. Um, so I, I see kind of a similar progression arc with Rosen, and he seems to be growing and getting better as time goes on, which is positive. Um, you know, he's he has a, a 60.8% completion percentage over the course of his career, an AYA of eight, um, which is okay. It's not, you know, it's it's not Baker Mayfield level, but it's, it's serviceable. And I think that... Um, you know, he has a lot of positive things going for him. And as, and as far as Darnold is concerned, I think that he absolutely has to take some criticism for his turnover-prone play. Uh, he's thrown at least one interception in, in two-thirds of his career starts where he's attempted 20 or more throws. So, I mean, it's it's really been magnified this year, but it's kind of been a theme. I, I think that the game against Penn State uh, last season in the Rose Bowl really sticks out in our minds because of how good he looked and how dominant he was. But he's been, you know, he's been kind of turnover prone his entire time at USC. Um, And in games, you know, in games against non PAC 12 power five teams, he's completed just 55% of his throws with an eight to four touchdown interception ratio. So, you know, it's not necessarily the same situation with Josh Allen, but against teams outside of the Pac-12 in the Power 5, he hasn't necessarily dominated as well. Um, but I think also something important to remember about both Rosen and Darnold are the fact that they're both 20 years old. Uh, I believe Rosen turns 21 before the draft, but they're both pretty young prospects, uh, which is always a positive. So uh, moving over to the uh, the two clear stars in 2017, Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, um, but curious about maybe some of the red flags with these guys. So Mayfield, he's a bit smaller. Uh, There's some attitude concerns. And Jackson is a run-first quarterback with some accuracy issues. Do you see these guys as developmental prospects, or do you see them contributing right away? Yeah, this this was the toughest question for me because um, I've been a pretty vocal supporter of both Jackson and Mayfield throughout the season and heading into the draft process. Um, It's true that Mayfield is short. Uh, I don't know if he'll if he'll measure in at six feet at the Senior Bowl or if he'll come in at five eleven, but he definitely is on the short side. And NFL front offices don't like that. It's clear. He also gets compared to Johnny Manziel, mostly based on those attitude concerns that you mentioned. But from an analytical perspective, he's one of the best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. 
in 40 career games at Oklahoma. He has an 11.8 AYA, 119 touchdowns to just 21 interceptions, just insane efficiency. I always reference back to Kevin Cole, who on Twitter comped him to Russell Wilson as far as from a size and production standpoint during their final seasons. And it's shockingly similar. And I think that if there is another Russell Wilson in this class, it's almost certainly Mayfield. Um, You know, the attitude concerns are legitimate. It it wasn't just the sideline antics that, you know, blew up all over the internet earlier this season. There's been a couple instances in his past where things have come up. Um, But the talent, you know, on the field talent is certainly there. And with Jackson, you know, it would just be flat out false to claim that he's a finished product as a passer because he's not. But again, if you look at him from an efficiency standpoint, he's made consistent strides each season at Louisville. And he also appears to be on an upward trajectory uh, as a passer. And that's not even mentioning the fact that he could be the best athlete that we've ever seen play the quarterback position. Um, That's sort of like an added bonus whenever we talk about Lamar Jackson. Um, But I think that landing spot is, is crucial for these guys, because if either would land in a place like Cleveland, I hate to pick on the Browns, but with with Hugh Jackson and a front office that is pretty clearly averse to any sort of forward thinking, um, I think that their chances for success would be significantly diminished. You mentioned Russell Wilson, and I think that's an interesting one. I owned him on on some of my best teams this year, and he's that QB1, really carried the team until those last couple weeks. But one of the things that you see, uh, and I was watching him pretty closely as as rid of all that ownership, when he drops back, he almost never throws the ball. It's his his passing and his passing success, which is you know very clear. He's the numbers he puts up, the way he leads them to points is is phenomenal. But it, it's almost always off of a scramble. He doesn't drop back and then hit his guys. Is there any concern that Mayfield wouldn't have uh, the scrambling ability and sort of the secondary passing ability? that it might take at that size to be successful in the NFL. It it almost seems like for him to emerge as a functional NFL quarterback that he might need to be more in the Drew Brees mold. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it, it kind of highlights the fact that this season, Oklahoma's offensive line was so dominant Um, and, and Mayfield had a clean pocket to throw from pretty consistently. And, and we didn't see him under duress too much. And and I think that in the uh, semifinal game against Georgia in the second half, especially, we saw, you know, Georgia was able to disrupt the pocket a lot and, and force him into some bad throws and some kind of questionable decisions, which is absolutely a concern at the next level. Because if he if he lands, you know, Seattle is an excellent uh, is an excellent example because their offensive line struggles that we've seen over the past couple of years. Russell Wilson has been able to kind of overcome that with his athletic ability. And I don't think, I don't think that Mayfield is the athlete that Russell is, but I think that Mayfield can do some things as far as moving the pocket, scrambling to throw to be able to avoid some bad O-line play. But it's definitely worth, you know, it's definitely worth considering the fact that he had a ton of time to throw behind one of the best offensive lines in college football this season. There are some differences, obviously, between Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, but given how successful Watson was right away and just how fantastically exciting the team was with him, do you see any similarities there? Do we need to have a, a forward-thinking, you know, very innovative team with a head coach who understands 
how to use Jackson. And clearly, anytime you have a, an innovative coach who understands how to use his players, that's going to be a positive. But does Jackson has to have to have that? Or will he be this kind of transcendent star who can overcome whatever the situation is? Yeah, that's that's really the conundrum, I think, with Jackson is the fact that, you know, I personally think that he's athletic enough to be able to overcome stubborn coaching decisions, but I don't necessarily know if that's the game plan for long-term sustained success. I think that it's pretty much exactly what you said. I think that if he finds himself on a team with a coach who is willing to kind of bend his system to be able to put Jackson in a position to succeed, I think that he can. And I, I think that he can continue to grow as a thrower. And, you know, two years, three years from now, if that arc continues, he could be, you know, he could be absolutely fantastic, especially from a fantasy perspective. And I think that that's kind of the the, the situation with Jackson. I, I look at him through a fantasy lens as a potential stud. Um, but as we know, fantasy, you know, what we consider someone to be from a fantasy perspective is not always the same as from a real football perspective. So I think that Watson is a good example. I, I you know, I think that I think that Lamar Jackson is a better athlete than Deshaun Watson. Um, I think that he probably has similar arm strength. As far as accuracy is concerned, Watson probably trumps Jackson at this point. Um, But, you know, I look at Lamar Jackson and I see probably the highest upside of any quarterback in this class just because of his athleticism and his improving as a passer. But landing spot is definitely crucial. All right. So you let me right into our, our next question here. Landing spot being crucial. Um, let's just get a quick prediction from you on the landing spot for each of these quarterbacks, uh, starting with with Josh Allen. Yeah. So whenever I saw the on Twitter, I don't know, a couple weeks ago about how the Browns were talking about taking him first overall, um, I immediately went into a a, a life threatening stage of tilt. Um, I I don't believe that is the right decision. Uh, I think that. Allen belongs somewhere deeper in the draft. But as far as a team that I could see him going to, I could see the Pittsburgh Steelers actually taking a shot on him, depending on what they think about Ben Roethlisberger's future. And again, leaning on that comparison between Allen and Ben, um, I think that the Steelers front office could potentially see, in a, you know, basically a direct replacement in Allen. I don't know if I agree with that, but with Roethlisberger being kind of up and down with his future, I think that he could potentially land in Pittsburgh. So he would fall, you know, well down the draft board if that were to happen, or I guess there could be a trade up. But um, do you do you foresee that happening? That his stock will cool a bit. I mean, it's hard. It, it I personally can't really see why why a team would pass on Rosen or Darnold or even Mayfield. I could see Allen going ahead of Jackson. But I have a hard time believing that those three would go behind um, or Allen would go b- ahead of either of those three. Um, but, you know, it's it's a tough decision. I, I don't really know exactly how NFL evaluators truly value Allen. I just know what what rumors say. But, you know, that's just that's just my personal opinion. I think that he belongs at least after those first three. OK, and then where do you uh, where do you foresee Josh Rosen going? I think it's between him and Darnold as far as one of those two are probably going to land in Cleveland with either the first or the fourth pick. Um, And I think depending on who goes at one, I think the other will probably land with the Giants. I know that's not like a direct 
answer to the question, but I think Rosen and Darnold will both be gone within the first four picks. And I think one will be in Cleveland and one will be in the Giants. Um, I think that Rosen, I think that Rosen will probably end up with the Giants. I think Darnold has a good chance to go first overall. Um, and, you know, he, Darnold has said publicly that he doesn't care where he plays. So, you know, maybe Cleveland, va- you know, factors that in because of, of Rosen's comments. Cleveland they don't want to hear that. Yeah, sure. I mean, they, they don't want to, um, they want to avoid an Eli Manning situation, I guess, maybe with Rosen. Um, but yeah, I kind of see Darnold going first. And then I think Rosen probably doesn't go past the Giants, assuming that happens. Okay, who would you like to see Jackson land with? Is he going to end up on a fun veteran uh, heavy team that's ready to compete right away and he can be that rookie that that jumps in and and takes them to the Super Bowl? Or is it going to be one of these teams that's in a full rebuild? Yeah, I mean, there's just given the the lack of really good quarterback play in the NFL, it makes makes these landing spots really difficult to predict because so many spots could use a quarterback – um, I think that Arizona with Carson Palmer retiring with Bruce Arians gone, there's a lot of turnover in that organization. I think depending on which direction they decide to go, I think that Mayfield or Jackson could potentially end up in Arizona if they decide to go that route. Uh, you know, assuming Kirk Cousins leaves Washington, I don't think that they're going to be happy with Colt McCoy as a starting quarterback. So I could see Baker Mayfield going there. Um there's, you know, Miami, depending on how they feel about Ryan Tannehill. I know that he's, you know, he's under contract, but there's just so many options for for teams to take a quarterback if they decide. And I don't know if all five of these guys necessarily deserve to be in the first round, but you can tell that around the league, teams are thirsty for quarterbacks and it's going to be tempting. It's going to be really tempting and very difficult to pass on these guys. All right, Jordan. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, everyone, make sure to follow Jordan on Twitter at uh, jhoover9787. Check out his work at Rotoviz. Jordan, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Please welcome to the show, Gianna Passanelli. You can follow her on Twitter at Gianna with uh, four A's. And she's a writer for Two Quarterbacks and Rotoviz. Gianna, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we uh, we wanted to get into some of the uh, quarterback landing spots. Um, we know, you know, as of right now, the Cardinals, Broncos, Browns, Giants, and Jets are all going to be looking for new quarterbacks. Uh, you know, it's also possible that there could be new quarterbacks needed in Washington, Buffalo, and Jacksonville. Um, Minnesota and Miami are maybe not locks with their current quarterback situation. And then the Steelers and Bengals uh, could be looking at quarterbacks for the future. So uh, what franchises do you expect uh, will be targeting veterans and maybe taking themselves out of the mix for rookie quarterbacks? Yeah, so I think um, based on their draft position, it would make sense for the Giants to draft a quarterback and then probably bring in a vet along with them. Same thing with the Broncos. Uh, if they brought a, a vet in to compete with the rookie, similar to what the Bears did uh, this past offseason, I think that can you know, help take the pressure off the rookie, uh, still give them a chance during the season, and when it feels right, bring in the rookie if needed. I think that, could, that might end up being the new norm. Um, I also think the Jets could probably, 
I mean, the Jags could probably bring in a vet. Um, grooming a rookie hasn't worked out great for them. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always possible to consider with so many vacancies and so many coaching vacancies open, potentially eventually bringing, a, bringing someone like Kaepernick into the job as well. Johnny, you wrote our streaming quarterback column this year. And as the editor, I, I had the privilege each week of, of going through and, and editing those articles, and they were just fantastic. Your, your recommendations, your QB1 option uh, averaged 20.1 points per game. And then one of the cool things you did, you gave us a couple of one QB options and a t- couple of two QB options, which, uh, you know, as someone who also writes for two QBs, and with that being a format that's really coming on, uh, I, I thought that was great. Really appreciated that part of it. And one of the cool things was that your two QB option, which obviously is is very far down in terms of ownership, since in mm. two QB leagues, uh, those guys are are owned quite a bit. You know, right. that option averaged 19.8. So, I mean, those were those are fantastic picks. And a lot of your favorite streamers are guys who may now be on the market this year. So, looking at some of those guys, we have Alex Smith. He's likely to be traded from Kansas City, has already been linked to Cleveland and Arizona. And certainly you would think any team um, that that has sort of a, a veteran group might be interested, uh, even more than Cleveland, you know, obviously being linked there uh, with John Dorsey as the GM. We have Case Keenum, who could go with Pat Shermer, and he's been connected to the Giants and Cardinals. We have Kirk Cousins and Tyrod Taylor out there. Um, Smith, Keenum, and Taylor, those guys were all streaming favorites. Where do you see those guys ending up? So obviously a lot of this is pretty speculative at this point since there's so many, like I said, head coach vacancies. It's hard to really know what these teams are going to be looking for in terms of a quarterback. I would personally like to see Alex Smith or Keenum go to the Giants or the Cardinals. Um, I think that would be a good good situation for them, especially you know Keenum on the Giants. He, he would definitely have a, a decent offense to work with there. Um, and then with the Broncos... Elway usually gets his guy. He got Peyton. So if he wants any of them, I think he'll have a good chance of getting them as well. Um, and again, before we get to the quarterbacks, I think the story really is filling those coaching vacancies. Um, we've had a lot of young, good play-calling coordinators step up to the plate. We saw Gase, McVay, Shanahan. Now we see you know, the connection with the Chiefs and the Bears. So I think potentially getting some of those offensive coordinators, especially – um, with Keenum's coordinator potentially moving on to the Giants, there definitely could be some room there to uh, to make a good match. What do you think of Keenum potentially having Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, uh, this elite cast of receiving options, maybe not that dissimilar to what he had this year with Thielen and Diggs and Rudolph? Right. I mean, I think it would be incredible. It would definitely be fun to watch, um, especially because Keenum's pretty good, has a has a Decent running game himself, so I know that's something Giants are a little bit lacking, so definitely could come into play there. Uh, I think there's a lot that they can do with, especially after the season they had. It'd be it'd be nice for a fresh start with a, a young, aggressive quarterback um, who could really maximize his weapons. Are you guys worried at all with Keenum, um, you know, even if he stays with Schumer losing the offensive line play that he had this year that really combined with, with Keenum's own ability to kind of scramble around, um, led him to, to really have a ton of time to throw this year. I think, I think he's probably less likely to have that, um, almost no matter where he goes. And even if he has Pat Schumer, does that Shermer, does that concern you guys at all? I definitely think 
the Giants O-line is uh, one to be concerned about. We've seen the types of hit Eli Manning took this season um, and definitely could see his production go down a little bit with that. I think it's also probably um, interesting if Keenum were to stay on the Vikings. Um, I think if, if the Vikings end up in the Super Bowl, Keenum, it would be hard to really let Keenum go. And then it's a question of what do you do with Teddy Bridgewater and and what are the options left um, with the Vikings. Going back to Alex Smith, is there somewhere you would like to see him land just from uh, like for his uh, fantasy value? Um, because, you know, he's, I think it's fair to say, a, a limited quarterback, but he's been able to kind of be maximized under uh, Andy Reid, especially this season. Um, and, and I would be worried personally about him, like if he were to land on the Browns um, mm-hmm. or on the Cardinals, depending on what the, the surrounding situation ends up being, where would you like to see him land? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think... Something somewhere that might be interesting is with the Cardinals, with David Johnson back. I think uh, we've seen Alex Smith has been able to excel when he can be paired with a good running game. Obviously, the depth um, at receiver is something to question there. But definitely with his limited limited capabilities, um, I definitely think that he should go somewhere where there's a strong running game that he can work with. So looking at these veterans... Uh, pick out one surprise landing spot for us and then give us one player to target uh, for those in two QB leagues. Who should they trade for right now before the value jumps? Yeah, so um, probably right around early in the offseason last year, I just was huge on Tyrod Taylor. Um, I, I think he's grossly underappreciated and undervalued, you know, despite carrying his team to their first playoff game in 18 years. So I really like to see him go somewhere where where he could be a little bit more respected and, you know, have a little bit more to work with. Um, so I would say that my pick would be for Tyrod to go to Washington, uh, playing in the NFC East against fast defenses, definitely add, add additional spice to an already fairly competitive NFC East. Um, and especially in fantasy, I think that there would be a lot of opportunity there and Tyrod would definitely be able to provide some major QB1 production. For fantasy owners, especially with his running ability, he's also an incredibly efficient quarterback. Um, and then as far as two quarterback trades, um, I guess my, I think my pick would have to be Kirk Cousins. I'd like to see him in Denver. Uh, between Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, they're just waiting for a good quarterback. And I think ultimately whoever ends up in Denver is, is who you're going to want to look out for, but I'd like to see Cousins end up there. I really like Cousins to Denver. That's that's exciting. But obviously that would be an upgrade. But would you consider Tyrod to Washington an upgrade or downgrade for the surrounding weapons there? It's hard to judge in Washington because I think, you know, with the game that they've played with Cousins contract and the the chaos around it, you know, from a media standpoint, the questions he's getting, it, it's definitely had it has to hurt locker room morale. Um, and, you know, make him feel a little bit less confident running this team. So I think, you know, Cousins is a very capable and, and a very good quarterback. But I think in terms of an upgrade or a downgrade, I think anything would ultimately be an upgrade in Washington, just in terms of getting a fresh start and having to, you know, rid themselves of, of 
the type of being in the public public scrutiny a little bit there. Um, and I think Tyrod is the perfect fit. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily think that um, they go down because of Tyrod. I think that he's going to be able to provide to finally be able to prove his worth to all the doubters. And he seems like someone who never really gets that volume to the receivers that help them to elite fantasy seasons. But you look at someone like Josh Doxson, who isn't getting volume anyway, but has that potential deep threat ability. You know, maybe Taylor could really, uh, I mean, he, he might be a guy where his volume could actually tick up slightly. And then those deep passes, uh, that might be a potentially exciting connection there. I think all of, all of the receivers um, have such potential on the Redskins. And, you know, I was super, I was super high on Doxson, you know, halfway through the season, but even uh, Jamison Crowder, he should have had a monster season. And I'm not really sure what happened with any of the receivers. I mean, Cousins played well for the most part, but you never really saw any of that, you know, top five receiver fantasy production that you expected from these receivers in any given week. Awesome. Well, uh, Gianna, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Everyone make sure to follow Gianna on Twitter at Gianna, uh, and check out her work at Two Quarterbacks and on Rotoviz. Gianna, thanks so much. Thank you guys for having me. Again, it was fun. All right, so thanks again to Jordan Hoover and Gianna Pansanelli. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter once again, at jhoover9787, and at Gianna, that's uh, ending in four A's. Um, but let's get into, Sean, now uh, just some quick uh, takeaways from Wild Card Weekend. What jumped out to you from the four games? Obviously, uh, some pri- some surprise outcomes with the Falcons winning in an upset on the road against the Rams. And then, of course, we also had another upset in the AFC with your Chiefs losing to the Titans in, in what I thought was a, a very surprising outcome. I didn't think the Titans really belonged in the playoffs at all. So, First of all, I say you're Chiefs. Are you a Chiefs fan or a Lions fan or, or both? What's what's the deal, Sean? Well, I I spent a couple years in Detroit when I was when I was little, and obviously otherwise grew up in Kansas City. So those are my two teams. And then having been out here uh, in Arizona for a few years now, also followed the Cardinals very closely. So if you have teams that are generally always losing their playoff games. Uh, or have Matthew Stafford and then no one else around him, it makes sense to try and diversify and, and have sort of three programs you're following. So I like to claim all three of those and, and just spread out my, my opportunities a little bit. <laughs> you have a diversified portfolio of rooting interests. I like it. Um, and I guess that, that's good. I actually am kind of the in the f- football agnostic camp where I don't have a, a team that I that I root for. So between the two of us, we're, we're covered with, with two teams at least. Um, but yeah, what were your, what were your thoughts from wildcard weekend? Well, I, th- I think the thing from a fantasy perspective is that uh, the AFC is just a disaster, both in terms of really the top end teams, the Patriots and Steelers not being as impressive, but then you look at those wildcard games and the Jaguars advance, even though Blake Bortles had another very, very poor performance. And so you have a team that's going to be in the AFC's final four that really has to address their most important position uh, going into next season. And then with the Titans, you have the situation we kind of alluded to where they probably saved their coach's job and that could really set the franchise back years. You look at what they did this season, Marcus Mariota 
there's really no other way to spin it. He had a very poor season and needs a lot of help there in terms of development, a new scheme, better coaching, all of those kinds of things. And then you look at Derrick Henry where you can still go a lot of different directions with him. Now the chiefs have a very poor defense and by the end of the game, when he was gashing them repeatedly, uh, they just weren't putting up any fight at all. I don't think we can look at that as a breakout performance so much as just an indication that he's at least a solid player who does some things well. And then question their usage of him behind DeMarco Murray this season, who who doesn't run well at all. He is a decent pass catching back, but brings nothing to the table in the running game. And perhaps that was just a, a situation where the Titans had created a dilemma for themselves where their starting running back is not a good ball carrier and their backup doesn't catch the ball. And so, you know, how do you go forward with that offense? The, the thing that really jumps out at you is that even though Marcus Mariota has been a disappointment statistically, he just is one of those guys who is a franchise quarterback and a potential superstar. The two plays he made in that game, the one where he grabs his own pass and goes in and scores a touchdown. And then that final play where he actually makes the block to spring Derrick Henry to get that first down to ice the game. Those are two huge plays. And you can see uh, just his teammates think that, I mean, he's, he's the guy he is the, is the franchise. And it just, it makes you so disappointed for how this turned out because with a different coaching staff, you know, we could be talking about a Deshaun Watson kind of, kind of superstar there in Tennessee. How many points do the Patriots have to win by so that Mike Malarkey does actually get fired? Well, I think if if Mariota goes out, throws three interceptions as they try and come back because they're down 30, and DeMarco Murray uh, is active and leads and touches, then I think we could still see Malarkey get fired even after what happened this past weekend. Yeah, if DeMarco Murray is active and leads and touches, and then Mariota is behind center and they don't use any hurry up, then like... They should they should be fired even if they win. <laughs> it's just it's so ridiculous that uh, you know they're trying to ram this system and uh, this you know the, these personnel choices that aren't working. Uh, it, it's just it's so weird. Looking at the at the NFC games, Pat, uh, was there anything that stood out to you? I have a, an idea in mind, but I wanted to ask if there was anything that jumped out from the Saints Panthers game. Well, I I had. Um thought that that game might be kind of surprised the Panthers might be surprisingly frisky and uh and I feel like they were I mean I think I think that um that was the most exciting of the four games uh at least you know for me watching I I had the most fun watching that game I think you know if Ted Ginn was on the Panthers instead of the Saints the game maybe swings the other way and not just because Ted you know, not because Ted Ginn is some all-world player, but just because they really lacked the Panthers really lacked that element of you know a down-the-field threat. That's something that that jumped out to me. Um, you see uh, that that dropped touchdown pass uh, early on in the game, um, and I think you know that really hurt. Not having Cam Newton, not having really any wide receivers that he can trust, I think was probably the biggest thing that jumped out to me what about you well you have that big christian mccaffrey score and i think that's the play that we're all looking for and certainly splash plays like that are not necessarily repeatable you're obviously not going to have them every week but they have that as a play that they can occasionally go to and you'd like to see them go to it more 
obviously <laughs> McCaffrey, I mean, he almost looked angry after that play. And clearly in reality, you know, he just fired up and excited and trying to get them back. But if, if you wanted to look at it a different way, you could almost think to yourself, well, I mean, he's thinking that if Cam Newton doesn't throw the ball, you know, 10 feet over my head or three feet behind me all season, then I've done that over and over. And I'm being talked about in the same breath as, as Alvin Kamara on the other sideline there. And then just the play calling is strange. The The Panthers are another team where they don't necessarily need to make whole scale changes, but you would really like to see them tweak some of the things they're doing. McCaffrey has that play, lines up out wide. He goes, he, he runs the pattern, scores the touchdown. And then on the critical play of the game, they have him in the backfield blocking. He gets blown up by the defensive end. It leads to an intentional grounding call that essentially seals the game. That's again a play where it just doesn't make sense what the Panthers are doing with their personnel. All right, and then uh, for the the last game here with the, I guess well not the last game we didn't talk about the Bills and the Jags, um, but the the Rams Falcons. Uh, w- what jumped out to you there for me it was just that the defense for the Falcons uh, looks looks really good, and um, and Matt Ryan, I think played one of his best games of the year. Um, but do you do you see? You know, the Falcons are now going to the Eagles in Philly, but obviously without Wentz. They actually have a pretty decent shot of getting to the NFC title game here. Um, are the Falcons, you know, someone to watch closely here as, as a potential Super Bowl contender now? Yeah, they haven't had the spectacular season that we might have expected, and they have struggled in the transition from one offensive coordinator to another, but they have the offensive pieces that they could be difficult for that elite Philadelphia defense to match up with. At the same time, the the Falcons defense, which statistically has been fairly mediocre, they really showed up and looked great against against the Rams in that game. So, you know, if they can carry some of that over, then you almost have to look at them as the favorite to advance to the Super Bowl there. I think the thing about that game that we could wish had turned out a little bit differently is just what would have happened if not for the special teams mistakes for the Rams, making that an exciting game at the end. Farrell Cooper is is a Rotovis favorite, uh, one of our guys with a great score in the Phenom Index. And you know we've always been sort of hoping that he would have that opportunity on offense. And certainly with him making those two big mistakes in that game, uh, it'll probably be unrelated to, to his future prospects, but certainly that can't help his perception as he goes into the offseason. No, that was definitely a bummer. Um, and, you know, I say we didn't talk about the Bills-Jags. You did, you did mention briefly kind of the, the quarterback issues for those teams next year. But, you know, the Jags in that game, they did not dominate the way I thought they would dominate, um, you know, just given the Bills' poor run defense and the Jaguars' defense, I thought would be able to really get after Tyrod Taylor and limit the Bills' offense, which I guess that part did happen, but the Jags' offense was not able to take advantage of a, of a weak Bills' run defense and and only put up 10 points so what do you make of the Jags as they move forward I mean I guess you know conventional wisdom here is that they're going to lose to the Steelers uh do you think it'll be uh, a really a really big blowout or do you think the Jags defense can keep it close in a road game against a, a really good offense one of the things we see every week in the NFL is that every game is its own separate contained entity. And we saw the Jaguars really take it to Pittsburgh early in the season. And certainly there's no reason they can't do that again. I think the most disappointing thing is simply that Bortles did have that stretch a couple weeks ago where he was on fire 
and was moving the ball at will, scoring a bunch of points with guys like Keelan Cole and Westbrook there. And for them to fall so far off of that, not be able to do anything through the air with Marquise Lee available to them as well, that's a big disappointment because certainly if the defense is not going to respect the pass, then it's going to be harder for Fournette to accomplish what they want him to accomplish. That game definitely could have gone the other way if the Bills make a different call on that first and goal from the one. I'm not against passing in those situations. I'm a pass first guy, but I think when you're down there by the goal line, you really have to look at what the likely outcomes of each individual play are. And certainly when you have that goal to go situation at the one yard line, you probably don't want to call the one play that is most likely to end up in an offensive penalty and move you back and get you off of that uh, one yard line situation, especially when it's a play to someone like Kelvin Benjamin, who seems pretty limited and was completely overmatched in that game. Yeah, and not that this was the outcome in this particular play, but it's also the the thing that's most likely to lead to a turnover in that situation too. So uh, I'm with you. Uh, pass first unless you're on the one. But, uh, yeah, I think that covers it. Um, this has been a, a really cool episode. I'm glad personally just to kind of run through some of the quarterbacks. So that was a lot of fun and then talk about, you know, some of these quarterback landing spots for the veterans. And so, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Sean, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me here. Yeah, well, thanks to, to Jordan and Gianna, and and uh, like they said, this is going to be a, a very fun off season, and uh, there'll be no shortage of of articles and and information to go over there as we see where all these quarterbacks land. Awesome, and you can check out all of that on rotaviz.com. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotavizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotaviz.com slash radio. Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE and get iPhone XR on us. If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service, and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs, zero down, plus 31.25 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price, 749.99, 0% APR. One offer per account. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12th handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.